Poddo. Welcome to A Pod Too Far, where we relive 1980s Sunday afternoons spent watching old war movies. Today, we strap on our flying helmets and leap up and down joyfully shouting racial abuse as we watch the 1955 low-flying classic, The Dam Busters. I'm Rob Hutton. I write jokes about politics and rather more serious books about military history. And I'm joined by Duncan Weldon. And I write books about economics and history. The Dam Busters. Da, da, da. I, I just... <laughs> <laughs> 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, I saw earlier when I was doing some basic research. People love this film. 60 years old, people absolutely still love it. Can you, don't, do you have any sense of when it sort of entered your consciousness or has it just always been there? The theme music will have entered my consciousness well before I saw the film in that the theme music, I, I don't know if it still is, was absolute classic primary school disco music no. uh, yeah uh, yeah maybe maybe, the, maybe this was just my school but they, they used to they used to play the what does da- one dance to you the- just put your arms out and pretend to be a plane <laughs> swaying around to the dambusters i'm now the girls I'm, do this too they did they did and i'm now really really worried this was something that only happened at my school i don't <laughs> think we had a disco at my school i have to say but we did play dambusters in the in the disco. i mean you could tell when it had been on yeah because people would be doing the doing the run across the playground yeah so, so we'd have uh, so I was probably aware of the music before I saw the film. And then, yeah, it was just one of those classic, I mean, it's absolutely classic Saturday or Sunday afternoon, BBC Two or Channel Four black and white war movie. It's made in 1955, still very, very close to the war. They, they're using actual RAF pilots to, to fly actual Lancasters. So they're nominated for an Oscar for special effects on this film. And I think we have to say that the special effects fall into two categories which are, by the standards of 2022, laughably bad. And then all of the scenes with the Lancasters, which are just, oh my goodness, they've got three Lancasters. They're flying. <laughs> They're flying three Lancasters really low. <laughs> but you know, the guy that did the special effects photography on the Dam Busters. Yes. Tell me the, about the guy. Well, who... <laughs> the, guy, the guy that did the special effects photography for the Dam Busters was then the director of photography for Star Wars in 1977. And if you look at the Death Star trench run in Star Wars and New Hope, it's just the Dambusters. It is. So there is there is on YouTube, and it's worth... If you Google Google Star Wars and Dambusters, and you can see mm. you can see the, the, the sort of the, the two films cut together. Mm. And it's absolutely amazing. And in fact, when Lucas has... George Lucas has filmed, done, I think, principal photography on Star Wars, but hasn't yet done all the special effects, and he's showing it to... Steven Spielberg or all of his mates in the mid 70s the way that he showed them what the the sort of the X-wing bits would be like is by cutting in old war movies um, of yeah. presumably actually cutting in quite a lot of yeah of the Dambusters. and you you did and actually the Star Wars trench run guidance computer closing in on yes. the is absolutely classic yeah. of the Dambusters run along the along the dam um, Maybe I can get my children to watch Dambusters by explaining the Star Wars link. That's just occurred to me. Yeah, no. Well, like, you see, I mean, I, I, did, I think I did make my children watch, watch Dambusters. I didn't. I didn't make them watch it this time, but I have. I have made them watch it mm. in the past. I, I have. I have shown them that supercut. But it, it, it's always it's just another of your old war films, Dad. It's <laughs> but it's 1955. So one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is I have a sort of operating theory that British war movies after the war are. They're, they're the stories that we're telling ourselves about who we are. It's not just that they used to be on every Saturday and Sunday in, in the 80s. It's that these are, these sort of are our national myth. 
Yeah, the, the modern canon. I was, I was doing some actual research. There's a fantastic essay that Dillis Powell, who was a sort of film critic from the, pretty much the moment they started making films, she writes in about 1947, 1948, so really quite close after the war. Before the war, she'd written, I have this problem, that there is, that there is no such thing really as a, as a British film, she said. I mean, which is interesting because Hitchcock has made a load. But she said, she said, you know, there's French films and you can see you, when you're watching a French film, you know you're watching a French film. But there's no such thing as a British film. And after the war, she says, British films are now about the war. That's what we're making films about. And I, I, she's saying that, as I say, sort of before 1950, looking back at it now, it's absolutely clear that this yeah. is, you know, if you sort of, if you picture John Mills in his prime, he's wearing uniform. Yeah. All of these guys, they are made in endless sort of films about the desert, films about pilots. The Dam Busters is arguably the king of them. It's it features very heavily in... Um, I'm not a massive Pink Floyd fan. Are you a massive Pink Floyd fan? I'm not a huge Pink Floyd fan, but I know where you're going with this. Right. Well, <laughs> perhaps you should explain this, actually, because it features very heavily in The Wall. Yes. It's, I think it's being watched on a loop. Yeah. Roger Waters of Pink Floyd, his father died in the war, killed in Italy in, I uh, think, 44. This is a generation that are growing up where... They, this is absolutely... Yeah. I mean, you know, this, the war is... is they didn't fight in the war, but the war is their lived experience in some strange kind of way. And and they're, then they're reliving it uh, in their day, probably, you know, it's sort of Saturday afternoon matinees. And then they're reliving it with their children, yeah. us. I'm not actually related to Roger Waters, um, <laughs> but uh, so far as I know, they're reliving it with their children in, you know, on, on, on TV in the 80s. And that's, sorry, that's my, that's my grand theory of, yeah. of Britain and the war and, and cinema. This is the one of the cool movies in that. Yes, absolutely. Within ten years yeah. of the war, yeah, um, genre defining almost. Let's, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to go to the after action report. We're going to do it slightly out of order because I think the thing we have to talk about watching this is the Dan Buster's Dog Award for the most problematic moment in this film. So I rewatched the film last night, and I rewatched it on a train with my headphones in thankfully and you know i hadn't seen it for you know this film i've seen so many times but i hadn't seen it for maybe seven or eight years and i was really quite shocked if more than i remember that dog's name comes up the dog is it's a black labrador and it has just about the worst possible name you could give it has a name that we're we're not going to be saying yes (laughs) we're not we're not going to be but which they say an awful lot in their film but they don't say so much i I sort of knew it because i sort of in my mind it's like oh well once or twice yes mine too but it's 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 not it's my goodness it's all the time but this is he just keeps shouting it and other people shout there's this sort of this there's this this scene where one person after another says it and you're you know i was watching it i was watching it on my sofa on my own in my house with my black poodle in fact and it's just (laughs) shut up shut up stop (laughs) saying the dog's name i'm gonna say it again i'm pleased i had my headphones in on the train but it's interesting isn't it because peter jackson wants to remake this film and in fact he was due to remake it before he got sidetracked into making for some reason free versions of the hobbit but you know the question people keep asking is how are you going to it's the only question people ask this is here you've got a film which has as you've told me a 100 percent rating on rotten tomatoes which is regarded as an absolute classic of british uh, British cinema making, filmmaking, and you want to remake it. And the only question people ask is, how are you going to deal with the dog's name? Again, you know, I mean, in fact, people change people, people change people's names. <laughs> when we were doing a British father, James Kahn's character's name, I think, is not is not the real name for some reason. No, I think they just changed his first name. I don't even know why. Yeah. You can change people's names in yeah. people of actual people. Yeah. In, uh, in in films of true life You events. can just change the dog's name. You it's can fine. change the dog's it's name. Fine. Apparently, they are going to change it to, I think, Digger. 
Oh, there we go. Digger, there we go. which is... There we go. Which is not what they shout in the 1955 film. No, but actually... Loads and loads so of times. It. So I, I rewatched it on... You know, I, I, I streamed it and downloaded it and watched it on train last night on my way back from an event, but... Is it still shown on television, and how do they deal with the dog's name? I mean, the answer is lots of different ways. So <laughs> some people just cut it, and then it makes no sense. <laughs> I think, sorry, we should, we should pause for a moment and just, just explain to... First of all, I, I have no idea whether Guy Gibson was a massive racist or not. There's no particular reason to think that, that he was any more racist than this any This was other. apparently a common name for dogs. Yeah. Yes. In Britain, Britain was not America. We didn't have plantations yeah. Yeah. here. we I'm not defending. It, yeah. It's obviously not a word that we're... It's obviously not a word we're going to be using. But it's a slightly different context. Yeah. It, was, it was obviously not offensive to anyone in 1950. At no stage in 1955 making of this yeah. does someone sit there and say... Maybe we should just say, which would have been the time to show, if they'd called the dog Digger then, we'd never have, we'd yeah. never have known, you know, yeah. and it would have been a, an amusing fact yeah. on podcasts like this. It's not just that it's his dog's name and he shouts it loads and loads of other people say it. And it's not just that the dog actually sort of has an, has an important sort of narrative, is, is an important part of the narrative. It's that it's actually one of the code words that they use for successfully blowing up a dam. So there is a moment three quarters of the way through this film in which an RAF officer jumps up and, and shouts, shouts the word <laughs> sir and everyone cheers <laughs> and at that moment yeah. you know i mean you're, yeah. you're yeah. sort of hence the question to peter jackson what are you going to call the dog <laughs> it's a really it's this, a, this, this, of... this is the thing the dog is not just you know it's not just that there is a dog in a scene at the back which gets referred to yeah. once or twice this this is quite an important part of the story so, anyway. so 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 sometimes they cut it yeah sometimes they dub it yeah, no one has ever quite successfully worked out what to do with it. I mean, I, 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 I it's now shown. I, I imagine you like me, sort of uh, downloaded it on Amazon. It's now shown with a big warning at yes. the front saying, "Look, you know, different times and historical <laughs> authenticity and that sort of thing." And the Danbusters Dog Award for the most problematic yeah, moment yeah, in this yeah, film yeah. Yeah. self-awarding goes to the, the Danbusters Dog yeah. there's no getting away from it. It, it definitely it is not intended as a racial slur no. I think that's 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 important yeah. I I think that it probably is reflective of attitudes in yeah. Britain in the 1950s which are not attitudes in Britain certainly not the attitudes in this podcast <laughs> I can't <laughs> tell you that so, um, so there we are <laughs> so and I, I actually have a theory that the reason they haven't made the film is because they can't work out what to do about the dog that wouldn't surprise me but, <laughs> <laughs> whatever they decide to do with the dog they are going to get condemned yes well, there are going to be newspapers that say you're rewriting history this is woke nonsense if they change the dog's name and if they don't change the dog's name they're going to have a problem getting it shown in lots of cinemas but yeah, anyway, I, I let's think, stop talking about the dog well I, the only thing I would add to is, is I, I think that I would have I would have more sympathy with the woke nonsense stuff if I had not watched it and thought thought oh my goodness <laughs> yes. it's, it's really awful <laughs> yeah. honestly guys if you're if you're not sure whether it's awful watch it <laughs> possibly not with your children definitely not with your headphones off <laughs> apart from guy gibson getting out of his plane and and shouting racial abuse what's the the cable car moment what do you what do you call your people in from the other room for it's the finale isn't it it is well it's I mean, the it's, last it's, it's the yeah. last hour basically yeah it's so so I think this depends on whether your dad is an engineer. Because ah, I, ah. I think that my dad probably enjoys the first hour more. This is basically two films. Yeah. And the first hour is lots of men in suits 
trying to work out how to make a bomb bounce and, and having meetings about whether it's possible to make yeah. a bomb bounce. And you see so many men in suits. Yeah. And Barnes Wallace, played by, played by Michael Redgrave, desperately, you know, this sort of idyllic life, desperately trying to, trying to yeah. work out how to make a bomb bounce. And then the second half of it is the Star Wars bombing run. Yeah. Which is, I mean, totally nail-biting. Just and, and filmed with real Lancaster bombers flying low. And it's, yes, yeah, just yes, I mean, you know, you could, they, people, people could actually have been killed in the filming <laughs> yeah. of this. I do like that frisson of danger. Yes. <laughs> so I think actually the moment at which I would want to be called in is the, and this is a great shot, where they're all, all the pilots and the air crew are lounging around and they're playing cricket in the sunshine yeah. and they're playing, and it's beautiful and it sort of pans across them. And in the background, you notice Gibson and Barnes Wallace coming out and then Gibson says, come on, lads, I think it's time to go. Yeah. And they all get in and the, then, the, then you realise that you've been listening to the march. And the march surges, the music surges, and they all climb into the the vans to 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 go to their planes. I, that is the moment at which you yeah. could, you could almost skip the first hour, unless you're an engineer and you're really interested in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other film I watched this week, actually with my dad, was the new Top Gun film, Top Gun Maverick, which is also a trench run. Yeah, a trench run to tricky bombing target. Yeah, doesn't have the en- Arabat engineers though. No, no, it doesn't. No. <laughs> but that's it. But it's it's interesting that that the second hour of this film, obviously, it's sort of it is then kind of copied in six three three squadron. It's copied in Star Wars. It's a very very influential hour. That. Yeah, she's not so dumb. Women in the film. Well, there's one really, which yeah. is which is Mrs. Mrs. Wallace. Yeah, who seems sort of perfectly nice. Is it odd? And I don't know if it's deliberate. The, the, the Barnes Wallace home life is absolutely idyllic. Yes. And, you know, there's the children scampering around and, you know, when he thinks he's lost his job, oh, well, I'll go and I'll fix the door on the shed and I'll, I'll, I'll need, to, need to work on the chicken run and stick another log on the fire and all of that, you know, and she's sitting there darning a sock. This is, this is very much a film in which men won the war. Yes, yes, Men win the war and women... Either by over... flying planes dramatically or by attending meetings in suits and planning bombs. Being, being, being tremendously clever, yeah. which I, I think is the other... So I think in 1955, it, it's important to Britain, it, and this is a film that enjoyed, enjoys huge government support. This is Britain telling itself... Although, although at the time it was made, lots of the details of the bomb were still classified. And apparently this causes all sorts of issues in the filming. Because you know, it, it, it's ten years after. It's the height of the Cold War. The RAF has still got squadrons based in Europe. We think we, they might have to do this sort of thing. We might need to bounce a bomb along a Russian fuel yeah, exactly, or something. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they, they struggle to show... Because you know, they don't want to give away too much about the bouncing bomb. Which, when you've got a film in which the first hour is about making the bouncing bomb is quite hard. But the, the message they want to say is, we won the war by, by, by brains and pluck. Yes, we we men won the war yeah. by brains and pluck, while women provided tea and yeah. handed over cocoa and darned socks. And get the GP to come out and visit you at home. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the least plausible moment in this film, <laughs> from a 2022 perspective, is a GP making a home visit and stopping for a chat to see how you are. Yes. I mean, having spent 10 hours overnight in A&E <laughs> last week with a, a, a small child, I, the, uh, you're just, I just don't, I don't, do not believe. That's the moment I turned <laughs> off. <laughs> I lost it for me. I didn't watch it after the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> the casualty list. The movie body count, 56 people died in this operation. 
56 uh, RAF officers and nobody else dies in this film. Nobody else died. There are no other deaths in this film. Nobody died. No Germans. No Germans yeah. died in this in Operation Chastise. 56 pilots. Is that right? Is that right? Well, it's not quite right, is it? I mean, <laughs> I think, the thing, you know, the film sort of, you know, when you sort of step back, this is a film about trying to destroy some dams to flood an area to where hit German... Live. Where, where people live. Where people live to hit German That's... production. So Operation Chastise, um, May 1943, the raid on the dams... We don't know how many people are killed. The best modern estimate is something like 1,600 civilians mainly, of whom quite a few will have been Russian prisoners of war working as slave labourers. So yes, the body count is quite high. and More than 56. More than 56. It, more it than 56. Is, it is amazing. This, so this is a film in which there are, I counted, four Germans appear. Yeah. In the flooding scene, you see four Germans scrambling up a ladder at a distance. And they may <laughs> not be Germans, they may be Russians for all we know. And that's it. But this is the other problem other than the dog which Peter Jackson is going to have if he comes to yes. remake this film. The fundamentally, you're right. The film is the message of, like, here's an hour of clever British people using brains and cunning to design a really clever weapon. Then here's an hour of pluck and daring as they deliver the weapon and achieve their aims. And huzzah, now we all go home for teas and medals. What the weapon was designed to do was to blow up dams and flood areas to hit industrial production and kill a lot of civilians. This is fundamentally a film celebrating in the planning and execution of what, had the war gone the other way, we would call a war crime. So this is the judgment at Nuremberg question, <laughs> is are we watching a war? I mean, this is, this is the problem with the entire bomber offensive. Yeah. It is also interesting to me that the, I think the only date that we see in the film is early 1942. At the start of it, it says early 1942. It actually... And you can, if you're watching closely, you realise that, that lots of times yeah, advanced policy is yeah. spending five months trying to work out how to yeah. bounce the bombs. And kind of, Chastise happens in, in mid-43. Early 1942, Britain, there is a, obviously a historical inevitabilist argument about this, but the war is not going Britain's way in early 1942. We keep being yeah. beaten in yeah. places. A Churchill line that before El Alamein, which is the second half of 42, there were no, it was, there were only defeats and afterwards there were only victories. By putting it then... I think I wonder if that is an attempt to say this started when things were going quite badly, and and this is sort of the the, the interesting line. I don't know if you read Max Hastings' Bomber Command, mm. terrific book. There's a long period where if you're in Britain and you want to hit Germany, who you are at war with, the only way you can do it is by bombing them. There is this war going on in the desert, but it's slightly weird and distant, and you're fighting over sand. And the bomber offensive is the one thing that the British government has got to say, look, we're punching the Germans every night. And and almost immediately after the war, you can sense that they're starting to think, hmm, you know, <laughs> Hamburg. These things that, that yes, if, if, if the war goes the other way, you know, the sort of a judgment at Coventry or something is... Bomber Harris is definitely on trial. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and it's, it, it's an interesting one that... You know, in terms of the bomber offensive, strategic bombing, as we call it, you know, this big area bombing. If this was more precise, the, mm. the operation chastised, but, you know, this big bomber offensive. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, even now, sort of 70 years after the war, it really divides even military historians about how effective it was. In that, you know, it all, you know you've got some, some historians who think this, this was really important in breaking the back of the German war effort and um, economic production, you know, which, you know, contributed to defeat on the battlefield and you've got other historians who you argue the entire thing was um you know very ineffectual and killed a lot of people but didn't actually damage the war effort i mean what's 
really important you know after the war you've got the uh, strategic bombing survey when you get all of the engineers mm. going out to germany and like you know trying to work out you know was this anywhere near you know, what you work what you see straight away is you know they thought they were doing a lot more damage 42 43 44 45 than they were when you actually go, you know, in 46 and look on the ground. Yes. And, um, so. and there's also this issue of what they call, there's a sort of the economic bombing and there's, yeah. there's morale bombing. Yeah. The, the oddest thing about the idea that you can bomb people until they give up is that they know this hasn't worked in London. Yes. Which actually he says, Barnes Wallace says this yeah. in the film, at the start yeah. of the film, he said, you know, that, that that doesn't work. Again, the interesting thing about this film is to what extent is this in 1955, the government and the RAF trying to sort of trying to say, look, here's a good bit of the bombing war. Yes. <laughs> that we're, you know, the, the, it was, it's, yeah. it's clever and it's ingenious and only four Germans die. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way they deal with it is just simply not to mention it. And as you say, the, the, the Peter, Peter Jackson's problem is immediately, you know, sort of what are you doing with those people on the ground? The Cooler King Award for the most gratuitous American character. There is Joe McCarthy. Oh, oh. yes, the American. I know this because I wrote it down. You don't see him. You don't hear. Guy Gibson has a Canadian in his crew. Yeah. But I mean, basically, so this is the other thing about this film is this is Britain winning the war. Oh, yes. Duncan. It's very, Britain, very Britain, British. British. Yeah. British men. British supported brains. Supported by British women with British cocoa. But, that's, <laughs> uh, but absolutely in no sense did we need. I mean, there was an Joe yeah. McCarthy is there. I presume that Joe McCarthy is real and was. I, I'm assuming yeah. that all of these names are real. But basically, there are no Americans in this. We don't care if the American box is. Did this film ever do well in the States? Or is it. Is this, is this is interesting. Find, is it a very British film? Is it, it is yeah. a very British film. So it, it was released in the States yeah. and in order to spice it up. And I think that this is in the cut that we both saw. One of the odd things about this is there are various cuts of this film yeah. floating about, largely because of the dog, but also for other reasons. They added a plane crashing into a mountainside for the American audience. And there is, in the cut that is on Amazon, which is, I think, the Studio Canal cut, there is a plane crashing into the mountainside yeah. in the distance. And that, that did not happen in the operation. No, and I sort of love that as well. It's clearly a production meeting somewhere. Oh, it's a very British film. Will the Americans be interested? Maybe Americans like plane crashes. <laughs> throw in a plane crash, then so ram that, them into that, their that, that apparently, if, if that is the one that we have, yeah. that apparently is a B twenty four crashing or something. From a, it's from a different yeah. film. It's yeah. thing, one of the, one of the great things about war films is the extent to which they borrow bits of footage from other <laughs> war films. But yes, no, I mean, basically, there's there are no gratuitous Americans in this. Who's in this in a tiny part? Who went on to be a legend? My nomination is Patrick McGowan. Later of the prisoner, uh, okay, who okay. is yep. outside the briefing room. He's the one who tells the dog you can't go in, and he doesn't ah. use the dog's name, which is why he went on to be a star. <laughs> um, <laughs> even then, he could spot the problem. <laughs> He's bought it, Sarge. Best death. Who's your nomination? My nomination is the dog. Oh well, yes, yes. I think because actually, there's this the importance of the dog in a sense is Gibson dealing with the, the loss of men in his the, fortune, the, the loss of yeah. men and and. And it's sort of it's kind of a prefiguring the moment where he's told and his lip wobbles. That's um, beloved dog. And actually, they spend more on the death of the dog than they do on on any of the planes. I mean, you see the planes going down, and it's it's this seems to me plausible. Actually, they see the planes going down, and they sort of they look and they see somebody. The guy to the left has just been shot down. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. So the death rate in bomber command is something like casualty rate, something like fifty percent. Yeah. Over the course yeah, of the war, it's, it's, it's British and American bomber command and German U-boat service. I mean, they're your free um. places you do not want to serve. <laughs> so. And indeed, Guy Gibson who is the hero of this film, will die the following year. Best meme. 
it's not a very memeable, but I quite like the engine starting up. I actually quite like also the moment where Guy Gibson's team, who are supposed to be going on leave, tell him they want to come with him for his special mission. And there's just a little close-up of him smiling proudly. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of thought, if I, if I could have that as a gif, I would use that, but I don't think anyone would know what it was. <laughs> sort of, if any listeners want to make a series of gifts for yes. Rob, <laughs> and then send them to me on whatever has replaced Twitter. Um, <laughs> Stiffest upper lip. I'm going for Guy Gibson yeah, learning that his dog has yeah, been killed. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, I mean, you know, and, and the end, which is also the, the sort of the best quote. But save that. Save yeah, that. Save that. Yeah. Nastiest Nazi. There are there no Nazis in this film. That makes it much easier. But I, no, but, the, but you step back. I mean, it is phenomenal. You can make this genre-defining war film in which the enemy just don't appear. And actually, I mean, it's, 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 this is something I'm actually in the book I'm writing at the moment, I'm slightly wrestling with, is you've got, you very much have sort of one side of something. Yeah. So what is the antagonist? For The antagonist for Barnes-Wallace is physics. <laughs> yes. Basically, it's can you make this bomb bounce? Yeah. The antagonist in the first half for 617 Squadron is aeronautics. Can yeah. you fly this low? Can you fly this level? And the antagonist for the second half is, well, it, it's slightly physics and aeronautics. And there is anti-aircraft fire yeah. and pylons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Two on the in, in the actual operation, two of the planes are brought down by pylons. Yeah. I mean, if you count the flak fire as nature, which it almost is in this film, because because you never see a gunner, you know. But it's, it reminds me in that way of you know um, the Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk yes. is another film about you know another film about the Second World War, in which you basically don't see the enemy. You can see the odd bit of German aircraft. You yeah. see the odd bit of German fire. You see a few German fighters at the end. You don't. You don't see. You, you don't see a German. You, you can make a war movie without the enemy. It turns out, and it's more common than you'd think. Yes. Yeah. I think. I mean. I, I think this is extraordinary. I mean, at least. Yes. You see. At least. You see Stukas in yeah. Dunkirk, and you see Messerschmitts. Yeah. You, there's just trace of fire. Yeah. In this, loose lips, best lines. I think I'm going for well. The the one that actually I realise sticks in the mind is is when Barnes Wallace is asking for a Wellington and they say, well, why would we give you one? He says, well, if you told them I had designed it, do you think that might help? Very good line. Which, in, interestingly, you know, this is ten years after the war. That is a line almost certainly put in for the purposes of um, you know dramatic license. You know, yes, because it's not quite true. No, he had worked true. on it. He'd worked yeah. on design. Yeah, but it's interesting that you know even in a very very government backed film, ten years after the war, you're prepared to play. A little bit fast and loose, with just to just 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 to spice up the story. So, so there is so there is a theme in all of these things. And again, this is sort of this goes to the book I'm writing, which at some point I will talk about endlessly on this because there are films that we can talk about. <laughs> yeah. This idea that you have to have sort of government resistance to whizzy ideas, yes. and you see this in all of these things that that somebody's got a whizzy idea and government's against it, but you but almost always, and then you get Churchill on board, and it's fine. <laughs> Apparently, Barnswell said there was no government resistance, and in fact. I have to say, in the thing I'm writing about, everyone in the hierarchy is absolutely up for whizzy ideas. Yeah, yeah. They're at, they, they, you know, have you got a whizzy idea? Because we're, <laughs> we're a bit stuck. <laughs> we'll, we'll take your whizzy ideas. But yes, yeah, so, so the, the other antagonist is other men in suits. Yeah. Although not, yeah. I mean, there's there's sort of there's one man in suits. Well, there's, there's one real doubter in suits yeah. in this. But uh, enemy coast ahead, which was the uh, name of Guy Gibson. I wouldn't mind that as a meme if uh, the, the gift makers out there. Uh, that's that's the name of his book. But I think probably the last words are, which are in fact the last words of the film. The famous last words are, "I have to write some letters first. Yeah, and is, and again, it, it, it's it's stiff up a little moment again as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's. Um, 
should we be celebrating? No, I have to write letters to the family of the crew who... And it's also how they deal with it. You know, during the mission, it's just, you know, a plane's gone down. We don't have time to... To, yeah. to even deal with this, to process it. We just have to get on and do it. But then as soon as you're back, it's you know dealing with those planes going down is the first priority rather than celebrating. It's and, and very duty-first. There, there is there is a... The victims in this film are very much the air crew oh, yes, who, are, yeah, who, are, yeah. who are shot down. It, it, again, there is absolutely no sense that <laughs> sort of anyone is at all bothered by... Yeah. Um, it's a military target. Yeah. And to be honest, the RAF did worse things than... Yeah than hit the dams. And actually, you can make a case that towards the end of the war, they're trying to close factories not by blowing up dams, but by blowing up the people who work in the factories. And at least in this one, if you want to get into moral relativism, the civilians are incidental to blowing up the dams that will, that, that, you know. Broadsword Radio Award for Completely Implausible Moments. I think this is pretty, I mean... It's certainly faithful to to the technology, as as you say, as, as it was understood at that point. Judgment at Nuremberg, we've discussed how many war crimes are committed. There's an essay question there. Really, oh, there isn't is, there? Yeah, 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 I, there is. So, <laughs> they didn't make very much. An essay question sort of skirted around in the film itself. Yes, but an essay yeah, question I mean, it's they, do, so they do talk about it a bit they, in the sense of they talk about the effectiveness and bombing and so on. Yeah. But And it, I did find myself thinking that you've got Barnes Wallace, who is the perfect, you know, sort of home life, cottage existence. And what he is doing is. There's a flip side of this where where Barnes Wallace is a hideous monster who is <laughs> yeah. sort of sitting on his sofa plotting the deaths of thousands of civilians, <laughs> whilst enjoying his tea and having his um in cocoa and having his socks down. W- worth dying for. Does this stand up on repeated viewing? Yeah, I think it does. And I'd, like I said, this last night was the first time I'd watched it in oh good seven, eight, nine years probably. You know, you remember all of the key moments. There's bits you forget. Yeah. We'll not go there again. And there's bits you forget. But it does. It does. It works really well. And you particularly see, you know, I've watched a lot of Star Wars over the last few <laughs> years with my kids. And you really do see in that last hour how th- this is just invented, that, that genre of how we show well, air-to-air combat or planes flying yeah. around. And everyone is at least sort of nodded to or explicitly copied for the following 70 odd years. I mean, I think I chewed through my pencil in, in that last hour mm. of the bombing run. And partly I think it does help that you... I was sitting there thinking, apart from the plane cry, flying into the mountainside, mm. this is accurate. So if, from a screenwriting point of view, how many times do you, do you let... Do you sort of hit the dam? How many times do you miss the dam before you blow the dam up? You probably blow the dam up on the last bomb, you yeah. know, and you have some... I assume that this is yeah. that this accurately reflects how many times you have to bomb a dam to blow it up, and that somehow actually sort of made it even more nail bitingly tense. Yeah. And and, and the, it's so well shot as well. Yes, I mean this is the thing. It's it's a beautiful film to look at, and I think I think often when you see these black and white films, you know the cinematography is just as important, as, and the lighting is just as important as the direction, and the lighting in this is perfect, and just. Yeah, you know, I don't even know how you go about getting the lighting so right when you're filming aeroplanes in 1955. Well, and the the silences back at, at Mission Control. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a fantastic moment where Barnes Wallace is sort of is sitting there, and one of the RAF officers comes over to say something to him, and then walks away because yeah. he can't think of anything to say. And all of that is so well, it, it conveys. I mean, again, this is a this is a film about British aircrew and uh, British and Empire aircrew and Joe McCarthy, the American. And the 
the beforehand, the long shots of them getting ready, we sort of think, why are we, why are we being shown, you know, these two chaps sitting and reading the paper? And it's, it's about how do you get, how do you prepare yourself to go on a mission when you know at this point that yeah, a- not all of you are coming back? You know, you, you they're sort of they're sitting in the in the briefing room, and they they know that that some of them will will be dead within twenty four hours. A lot of them, and then afterwards, when it sort of it cuts back to the bedrooms with the the clock slowly winding down, and the letter left for the loved ones, and and so on. That that's that's incredibly well done. Hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, hundred percent on Rotten go. Tomatoes. It, it, Duncan, is this the operation that changed the course of World War Two? No, but but this one has a, has a, does have a a better claim than some others. So um, you know, it was a very effective raid. It, it did what it said it had to do. It hit German coal production really highly. For Albert Speer, the German armaments minister, who is, I think it's fair to say, he's un- a nasty Nazi. Yeah, a very nasty. Yeah. Nazi. I mean, so not in this, but he, yeah, he, he'd very, win. Yeah, very uh, very very unreliable witness in many ways. But he he did say afterwards, you know, as armaments minister at the time. This raid achieved more in one night than months of previous bombing had. So, you know, big impact. You know, it, it doesn't win the war, but it's, it's, it, it is an important operation. The Dam Busters. That was A Pod Too Far with me, Robert Hutton, and Duncan Weldon. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you liked it, rate and review us. You can drop us a line at podtoofar at gmail.com or on Twitter at podtoofar. If you want to watch along with us, next time we're doing Duncan's favourite naval movie, The Battle of the River Plate. Mm-hmm.